And any of you have a, a friend or maybe you are that friend who is like a, a history buff kind of person? Anybody? Are you that or have a friend like that? Have you ever watched a period piece movie with that person where they can easily point out uh, things? You're like, oh, that scene was so gripping. And they're like, yeah, but that goblet that that Roman guy was drinking out of, that's from the ancient Near East in about 600 BCE. It's, it's, not, from, uh, it's not from the current era where this film uh, was meant to depict. And they're like, oh my gosh, I, I just like the, the scene, all right, man? I don't care about the goblet. But they, they can do that. They can do that because of their knowledge of history. They can see how something fits into a context or if it's kind of like misplaced. It's called an, an anachronism, like when something is out of place in history and, uh, and it, you can see it or not see it, but that's, that's what it's called. And I think about this with those of us alive today, especially like uh, the kind of millennial generation and maybe Gen Z. And, and it's really a common thing. I think no matter what time in history we are, but if you're kind of in a certain age group, you tend to think that the knowledge of the past is kind of, kind of useless, kind of worthless sometimes, or not that worth paying attention to. And so you maybe disregard it. And then this can carry over into thinking, well, I shouldn't listen to the older generation. Okay, boomer, you know that one, right? Because they are the ones who got us into this terrible situation that we're in right now. All the while, I'm thinking about all of the changes that have happened just over the past 100 years, all the technological and social changes, the world has changed so fast. I don't think there's ever a period in known history where there's been so much change socially, technologically, and otherwise that the generations right before us have had to navigate. There's people in this room right now who have seen, you know, people going from using like rotary phones regularly to now teenagers and, and people in their 20s and 30s constantly bent over looking at a tiny screen that's more powerful than a computer that used to take up a room this big. That's a lot of change. And, and when we think about the people, the elders that we have and, and the eldering sort of information and, and environments that we have, they can provide a sense of context to what's happening today that the younger generations, we just don't, we're not aware of. We don't know that that goblet is from the 600 BCE era. We just think whatever's happening right now and kind of what happened like 50 years ago, that's kind of like all we're thinking about. And it's normal. It's normal as you grow up to get to a point where you're like, I want to do things differently than the people before me. And I want to reject the things that I've been taught. And I want to strike out on my own and, and do things a different way. And yet, as we get older, there comes a time when we must, or we, we, we should 
find a time where we can begin to reconcile a greater sense of what happened in the past so that we can have an appropriate amount of purpose in the present right now. When we find ourselves trying to grapple with our purpose in life without paying attention to the past, we find that purpose trying to be shaped in a vacuous space. And so we find ourselves aimless and wandering. A few months back, I had this incredible pain behind my right eye. And uh, I didn't know what was going on. And of course I thought, I probably have brain cancer and I'm dying because that's how dramatic I am, right? And uh, my wife is a nurse and she was starting to get concerned and she's not usually concerned when I get hurt. So when it gets to that point, it's kind of like, oh, this is serious. So we, we, we called a, a, a friend of ours who's an ER doctor and he started asking questions and trying to diagnose us over the phone on, on a late Saturday night because the pain had, had gotten so unbearable for me that I was just having to just pop Advil because it just felt like my eye was gonna just push itself out of, out of my head. And uh, we were actually in the pre-service meeting praying the next morning and I think somebody asked me like, have you thought about what happened over the last week? Have you done anything different? Have you experienced anything different in the past week? And I started thinking more carefully about that. And I remembered that my coffee pot broke and that I started using this little metal coffee pot that sits on the burner and you heat it up. And that coffee pot was directly related me drinking out of that to when my headaches started. And then I looked inside that little coffee pot and I saw that some of, the, some of the covering on the metal inside had started to erode. Turns out I had an allergic reaction to the metal in that coffee pot. And as soon as I started drinking coffee out of it, my headaches subsided and within a day, I was totally back to normal. And I, I can't help but wonder if there are some things in our life, that there are some headaches in our life, some things that we think are so incredibly, crucially unsolvable and could end up taking us out, that really we just need some perspective from the past. We need some eldering. We need some context and faith from those things that have gone before us. We need to pay closer attention to those things. Now here's the deal. Even if you do all that, you're still gonna make a bunch of mistakes. You make a bunch of mistakes in life. There's no, there is no MacGuffin, there's no key to figure it all out, to make it all go away, to make life just really easy and satisfying every day of your life. But it is amazing the things that you can do that you can endure, that you can produce and create in your life when you are grounded in a sense of purpose. And part of our purpose as human beings, whether we like it or not, whether we want to admit it or not, comes from knowing our past. 
comes from knowing about what it was like for other people who lived at other times who faced challenges very similar and very different from ours. I was in a car many, many years ago with a girlfriend and the, she had a, a girl in the back seat who she was a camp counselor of. She was a high schooler and she had these paintings with her. And I'm an artist and I've studied art history and she had these paintings with her and they were copies she had made of famous artist paintings, Van Gogh's and Monet's. And I was like, she was showing them to me. Oh, you're an artist. Oh yeah. And we were looking at them. And she said, uh, you know, I just sell these for like 50 bucks a piece, but I, I could be getting like a million dollars for them. And my girlfriend looked at me like, don't you do it, don't you say it. I was pretty young myself at the moment, so I'm huh, just biting my finger, trying not to bust her out. But the paintings weren't bad. They, they were, you know, student grade acrylic paintings on small canvases. And, and it was like, you know, Van Gogh's Starry Nights, you know, the ones and the landscapes by Monet, you know, lily pads and things like that. But, but what this young budding artist failed to understand, failed to take into consideration is that the worth of those paintings, the real ones, besides being infinitely more skillfully created than the ones then that she produced was also the reason that the reason why those paintings are hanging in museums and they're worth millions and millions of dollars is because of what they produced in that time period. Did you know that Van Gogh, who you can see his work on coffee mugs and posters and everywhere else uh, you go in world and in society today, he died having sold one single painting in his entire life, depressed. And, and yet today he is, he is celebrated as one of the pioneers of, of modern art for, for good reason. And, and I think about that, that really common phrase that those that don't know the past are doomed to repeat it. But, but I think it's worse than that. When I think about that, for me as, as a creative, and I think every human being is a creative, I think we're doing more than that when we don't know the past and we repeat it. We also repeat it at an infinitely lower quality than what it was done the first time. Because we don't live in that time period and we don't face those same struggles and we don't have those same technological limitations or benefits or what have you. And so I think in this conversation we're having about purpose, knowing our place, our place in society, our place in history can provide us with a lot of energy and purpose to face the challenges that we have today and to see the meaning that we can create in it, co-laboring with God. That means having faith that what we are doing has a purpose for us and also beyond ourselves. So we don't need to deride the past and say it's worthless because of the mistakes that the people in the past made or the ways that they looked at things that we feel like we've become more enlightened about. 
And we also don't need to idealize the past and say, if only we could go back to that moment in time, then the key would unlock. Then I would feel a sense of purpose. Then everything would be the way it was supposed to be. But, but if we can ground ourselves in the present, looking back at the past, seeing it as a place for us to, to find our place, to understand what, who and what happened before us, then we can live more meaningfully and purposefully in the present, in the here and now. So when we go back to the scriptures here that we read, this passage in the book of Hebrews, the writer is reminding the people about their history. That's why this book is actually called the book of Hebrews, because you can't read this book and understand it without knowing a lot about the history of the Hebrew people, of the Israelites who became known as the Jewish people. So he's reminding them of their past. He's reminding them of the Red Sea that their ancestors crossed on dry land, escaping from slavery. He's reminding them about individual people of faith who did things like conquered kingdoms and administered justice and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, talking about people like King David and talking about people like Daniel and the lion's den and, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and all of these people who had great sense of faith. And then women who received back their dead and people that were, were tortured and faced jeers and flogging and all of those types of things and that were commended for their faith. And I don't, you may not relate to this, somebody in here might, but I know for me, when I, when I first started studying some of the things about the Bible, and this might not be the Bible for you, it might be some other aspect of the past, I started to think sometimes that if I could just go back to that, if, if, if we could just live like that, like those people did, that's the key. That's where I'll find my purpose and my value. If we could just repeat and recreate that. I, I started getting these books about the rabbis and I started studying the, oh yes, the rabbis. And if, if I could recreate the discipleship model of the rabbis and, 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 and have, you know, walking through towns together and things like that and um, recreate that experience, then, then I would feel that sense of purpose that I needed in life. And so, and so I was dealing with almost a sort of anachronistic faith, a faith outside of the present, outside of the time that I was in. You ever, you ever do that with your childhood? You imagine like, oh, that's when I was like really happy when I was this certain age and I was doing this certain thing in life. That, that was the good days. Those were the times that were the best. If I could just make, recreate that time in my life, then I would know happiness. Then I would know contentment. Then I would have a sense of purpose. I saw this in, recently in a little comic strip where this guy, he's digging through a box of things and he finds this uh, Zelda video game cartridge. Any Zelda fans out there? Yeah, grew up on some Zelda, baby. Yeah, and uh, he says, oh, I remember when I used to play Zelda all day. Those were great days. I wish I could go back. And this genie pops up and says, your wish is my command. And he brings him back to playing Zelda. 
And he's like, oh, this is fun. And in the background, his parents are like having the worst argument ever all day long. And he's sitting there playing Zelda. He's like, yay, Zelda. We have this incredible ability as, as human beings to go back in our imaginations and find a time and a place where we feel like life was easier and, it, and everything was just kind of had fallen into place well. There's a name for it, nostalgia, nostalgia. And, and what our imagination does is it, it softens the edges. It takes out the arguing parents in the background and it, it takes out the other stresses and the other things. And we're left with these really beautiful, wonderful memories. And there's a reason because the present, there's no place that's filled with more struggle and, and, and more challenges than the present. And, and so when we're feeling stressed, when we're feeling really lonely, when we feel like things aren't going our way, then we want in our minds to go back to the past. That's the whole thing we see with like MAGA and all of that kind of stuff. It's, it's people remembering having a personal memory and maybe half of it's not even what they experienced, but maybe things that they were taught to believe about the past that were so wonderful, where, where there wasn't the stresses and the challenges of modern times. The problem is, when we spend a lot of time in nostalgia, when we convince ourselves that the past was better than the present, we eventually have to start blaming our present for it not being like the past. So we look outside of ourselves to blame the events, the people, the spouses, the friends, the jobs, the government, the, the foreigner, all of these different people, people that have a different race or ethnicity or sexual orientation that are challenging our peace and our stress, we begin to blame them for the stresses of our present because we're imagining a past that was just so wonderful and so sweet and so without so many of the challenges we deal with now. In verse 39 and 40, the writer says this about these people of faith of the past that he's calling our minds to think about and remember. He says, these were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. Since God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. So the people of the past, they, they had this faith but it wasn't like the ideal that the writer is saying that we need to recreate or reproduce. But he's reminding us that there were people that went before us, before us that faced the challenges of their day with a faith in God that gave them the ability to conquer, to uh, to face persecutions, to, to face hardships in order to do the task at hand, the thing that was in front of them that was their purpose. And then he says this incredible thing in verse 40, since God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. 
And this, this word perfect, it, it needs a, a, a little bit of teasing out because in the Greek, perfect means a little bit different. That's the language this book was written in. Um, it means something a little bit different than uh, it does in our language. So the word here, and we've, we got it on the screen, it, teleos, um, it, it means to complete or to render something full. So it's, it's almost like if you had, in this instance, you had a puzzle and there were some pieces missing and then somebody comes up from inside of the couch and says, I found the missing pieces. I spent a long time this morning looking for some puzzle pieces for Xavier at 6.15 this morning. He really needed to finish that puzzle at 6.15 this morning. And, and so in this situation, we don't find that the author is telling us, you need to go back and be like, just like the people of the past. You need to recreate their situations and their solutions for life. And, and the author isn't saying as well that um, that's, the, uh, that's the, uh, the ideal that happened or that that is even something for you to look back on and say there was something really wrong with that and to do it differently. But instead, the author is saying that what happened in their story plus our story completes the life of faith, brings purpose into our life. And so what I hear, what I think of as we, as we talk about purpose is that I wanna be curious I wanna be curious about my history, my personal history, the history of my family, but also the history of my country. I don't wanna be afraid. I don't want to think, oh, we need to keep the lid on these things of history, but I want to know, I wanna be curious about what actually happened, what actually took place, what were the struggles of the people that lived for good and for bad and how I fit into that. I want to know the struggles. I want to know the struggles of the people that went before me in faith. I don't want to be satisfied just to say, you know what? Those boomers, man, they really screwed things up. And therefore, I'm going to abandon the 2,000 years of rich faith and tradition and history that I could learn from. That history doesn't stop 50 years ago or 100 years ago. That I'm tethered to a long arc, a long tradition of human beings struggling for meaning and purpose and looking for faith and that there is something for me to learn and to join in on. That I can have purpose and meaning in that story. I've been telling some stories the past couple of weeks and Zach brought this to my attention of my poor little girl Malia about her room being disorganized and, and, and things like that. And I said, I want to make sure I tell a good story about Malia this Sunday. And one thing I really appreciate about Malia, she's six years old. We've got, oh, we got tons of books, tons of kids' books. You know, and when she picks out a book at night, so often she picks out one about people of history. She's got this little book of women, of women of history, these little profiles of these beautiful women of color over the past hundred years and the amazing things that they did. 
And she has just this old soul where she just wants to take in all of this type of information. And I think about and I imagine what kind of woman she is going to become filled with the knowledge and the experience and the faith and the courage of those women and those leaders that went before her. Verse one in chapter 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. This cloud, cloud of witnesses around us. Sometimes when I feel like, why am I going through this? What is the purpose of this pain and this, this struggle that I am in? I'm reminded of this author named James Baldwin, who is an elder to me through his writings and his works, a spiritual elder to me. And he, he, he wrote this really profound quote that, that deals with this sort of perspective that I think the writer of Hebrews is trying to tune us into to help us to gain a sense of footing, a sense of place in this story of humanity. And he said this, James Baldwin said this, you think your pain and your heartbreak are unprecedented in the history of the world, but then you read. It was books that taught me that the things that tormented me most were the very things that connected me with all the people who were alive, who had ever been alive. It's books, the Bible, it's the elders that are with us in this room that can tell us stories. It's those in our lives that when we're struggling, when we're in pain, it doesn't take the pain away, but it directs the pain you are meant to live a life of purpose, of creativity. And when we understand our place, that's the title of this sermon, knowing your place. And you can share in the common suffering, share in, in the enlightenment that was given to us by those that went before us, in the courage, and yes, the shared purpose. So we stand whether we know it or not, whether we're aware of it or not, we stand on the shoulders of the uh, giants of faith. Whether we know it or not, whether we're aware of it or not, and we can either go about making imitations unknowingly, thinking they're worth so much, feeling a lack of purpose, or, or becoming curious people, curious about where we find ourselves in this story. And, and, and here's the thing, what you'll find, one of the things you'll find is that you're not, you're not big in the story, but you'll also find that you are a big deal to God. Some of you know that phrase from pre-COVID times. There's a, a, a song called Who Let the Dogs Out? I don't think there's, there could be a person that walks into this, this room. Maybe there's, there's hardly any people in the world that haven't had that song like taking over their mind at some point. And, and the thing that, that I stumbled upon is that this song um, 
people think that, you know, the guys who sang it last, that they came up with that song, but they didn't. And, and then they point it back to somebody else that they think came up with that song, but they didn't. And they keep tracing this song back further and further and further. Uh, and you can probably read about it on Wikipedia. You can type it in if, if you're interested. You're, I couldn't imagine you would be. Um, but but um, they made an entire documentary about who let the dogs out. And they never found out who let them out. And, and I just want to read this to you because I think this is a comical example of, of just history. Uh, so this writer writing about the documentary said, yes, this is an entire documentary dedicated to the indelible Baja men. Earworm, the cacophonous clangs of steel drums and club beats that thanks to its seemingly nonsensical chant and hook blanketed the entire universe in calypso barking during its irritating radio reign in 1999 and 2000 before setting up permanent retirement in the devious corners of your brain that has randomly played the song in your head once a month for the last 20 years, a propos of nothing. See, some of us think we know history because we know the last person who said something somewhere. We, we think we know what we're reacting or responding to in our life. We're getting our sense of purpose over somebody that said something 20 years ago. And we don't realize that this story and that this purpose of humanity has been echoing through far, far longer than that. And we live lives reacting to something that is so small. That's why we do what we do on a Sunday morning at Christ City. That's why we read the scriptures out loud together. That's why we have these call and response scriptures. That's why we come to the table. That's why we practice tradition because we are not so arrogant to believe that everyone that came before us that set up these traditions, that wrote these stories, that they didn't know as much as we do. That somehow our story in the present is somehow more important and more enlightened than everything that came before it. And I think that we have an opportunity there to arrest a purpose and a faith that we can really do something with, that we can endure things that maybe some other people can't endure, that we can create a future that some people don't believe can be created. If we're willing to take a look at those things, if we're willing to embrace our present and allow the past to encircle us in that present. This scripture ends with these verses here. In verse two, after the great cloud of witnesses that we're continuing on and the writer says, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So there's that word, teleos again, that, that word of, of perfect, of being made perfect but we see Jesus here being described as the perfecter of the faith, as someone who acted in the past, but is for us to look at in the present and the future at the same time. That he 
endured this cross, that there was something about Jesus's life and death and resurrection on the cross that showed us a perfect picture of faith and purpose that we can look to. A pioneer, someone that goes before that blazes a trail. So there is a, there is a trail and a path that we can take hold of, that we can see. And it's both in the past and the present and also even looking to that future. That, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them and has committed to us this message of reconciliation. That is a creative task for our world today. That is a place that we can find ourselves looking both inward to find the Christ in us, as Colossians 1 says, and looking outward forward to this pioneer of faith. See, like I said at the end of last week's sermon, you know, having faith that God exists, okay, great, good, wonderful. But, but living a life where you trust that God has a purpose for you to create a future where reconciliation is happening, that Jesus is, is the pioneers stepping forward with us and, and we can look and embrace the past. We can see it for what it is. We can live a life of purpose in the present. So as we come to the table, let us fix our eyes on Jesus. Let us ask God to make us curious about our past so that we can embrace our present in a new and dynamic and creative way. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you remind us that we are here to be part of a bigger story and that we can find purpose and hope and faith and belonging in that story. Amen.